and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the editor of Resident Advisor. Kelly Hand used to be described as an unsung hero of Detroit house and techno. Recently, though, she's been getting her due. With a production career beginning in 1990, she has a sprawling discography packed with timeless releases for key labels like Warp, Trezor, and her own Acacia Records. In conversation with Matt Unicomb, we hear about how her perspective on releasing music and DJing has changed over the last three decades, and her experiences the ebb and flow of a life spent in dance music. As always, you can hear our full archive of exchanges at resonantadvisor.net, and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The Exchange of K-Hand is up next. around your first club experience or you'd been to things Detroit beforehand? Well, that was one of the major first uh, Paradise Garage out, outside of Detroit. Of course, we had the Music Institute in Detroit. That was not the first, but uh, one of the uh, really built up club that developed in Detroit. Prior to that, I had a residency at um, this place called uh, Zippers that Ken Collier uh, recommended me to play. So I took it, and it worked out really well. That's when I started testing all my dub plates and stuff. So would you go out every weekend? Were you hooked? Yeah, I would go out every weekend prior to my residency, and then it was every weekend then. <laughs> so, yeah, we just kept it, kept it moving, you know, out dancing. And dan- uh, Chicago was another place I frequented, uh, Powerbox, and um, Andre Hatch's parties, house parties, just all the all the real good stuff, and I ended up meeting all the Chicago producers as time going, went on. Yeah. So, what do you do on your weekends off now? There is no weekends off. There's really no time off. I'm constantly always doing something. If I have a weekend off, then it's production or just doing nothing, regrouping. But there's very seldom I have a weekend off. I think in the corporate world, that sounds more lovely than in the music business world. <laughs> That's the thing, because when you're working, it's on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you need to have a few... I don't know, what happens when you get home? So you're on tour at the moment in Europe. What day will you get back to the US? Uh, it would normally be on a Monday. So what happens? Sunday, the, Monday. So do you have a few days rest or do you get straight yes, back to Yes, the first thing it? I do is <laughs> I get from the airport. Sometimes I'll go straight to like the workout center. And just start working out. Just like I'm back at home, I can work out and chill. Or I'll just go straight home and just sit for like five hours. Just sit. You know, prepare the home for my dog to come back for the few days that I'm there or weeks. And uh, and then get him ready. But most of the time for me, I would just sit and regroup. Then I'm at home. Do nothing. Go to the grocery store. Get some, refresh the refrigerator. That type of thing. And so, yeah. Pick up all the mail. Because, you know, mail, mail comes in a lot. And, yeah, sounds boring, eh? <laughs> That's okay. I guess it's uh, maybe it's like some kind of novelty when you're traveling so much. You re- would really appreciate being at home and doing normal things. Like what? Washing know. clothes or? Maybe. I don't know. Like, I can, I guess, I can just imagine it's like a slightly like, it's definitely a strange life. Well, living. I mean, I'm not a couch potato, so I don't watch movies sitting all day, like, trying to catch up with the latest reality shows or, (laughs) you know, the latest movies. I have an iPad. I can watch movies whenever I want. I'm not an avid movie watcher, but um, I do like comedy a lot. So once in a while, I'll sit and watch some comedy. Um, But for the most part, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mostly with my dog more than people. Interesting. What kind of dog? I have a little Pekingese. Oh, cute. Yeah, a little foo-foo dog, like for the rich people, like me. <laughs> so that's nice to come back to. Right, I'm looking forward to going back home to see him. I don't care about the people pretty much. <laughs> Everyone laughs when I say that. But yeah, dogs are so unconditional. Just That's where the unconditional love, or pets in general, 
just not only dogs, but cats. Uh, and some people are animal lovers. Some people are not. But yeah, unconditional love. That's where you get. That's where you get it. I'm always fascinated how, like, I would love to know, like, what's going on when you can just look at a pet, you can look at a, co- a cat or a dog, and it just makes you happy. Like, what is going on in your brain? Like, is it their innocence or, like, you know? That's a good question. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, like, because it's their little creature- face. The little face. And the thing is about pets in general, dogs, cats, whatever you have, mostly dogs and cats, they're all you have. And you're all they have. So basically, so they, they look upon you to take care of them. So you're looking at their face. They're like, you know, babies. Like I treat my pets like family, like most people do. So you live in Detroit. That's where yep. you grew up. Yep, yep, yep. You've spent most of your life there. Have you, you've lived? I'm have you, there. So did you move away for, for some point or you've more or did less Did I saved? move away? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I actually, um, my work entails travel prior to music and now as well my mom moved away i didn't move away that's where the misconstruings come from she left detroit i didn't um so uh to clarify all the people who thought that i yeah of course if your mom moves to hawaii or germany you're gonna go there and visit and stay for two or three weeks but anyway so (laughs) that's how it goes okay cool so, what made you decide to stay if she left in the 90s? Oh, Detroit uh, was my home. I mean, I had just got a new loft, and I'm like, oh, I'm running a label. I just didn't see myself leaving Detroit. So, you had a lot going on there that, that was specific to Detroit. It felt like a, it was important for you to stay there. Like, it, things it, were happening. It felt like it was important. Like, I was like, see you guys later. <laughs> I mean, I helped them move up there, drive, drive stuff up there, but I was like, see y'all later. <laughs> I don't want to go to Atlanta. That was my first impression. And it's the last, too, because she wants me to move there. And I'm like, no, I'm not moving to Atlanta. I don't like Atlanta. What did they... I mean, I like it, but it's... it's. Uh, let me clarify. I like it, but to a certain extent. It's, I feel like it's for... Uh, it's too relaxed. They wear flip-flops. You know, I'm more of a northern-type girl. The South, I like country uh, hospitality, the food... But it just seems like it's too relaxed. They need to shovel some snow and throw some salt down, like really put some grind in the ground, like Detroit hustles harder. Yeah, as the saying goes. <laughs> so what did they think about your music at that time? I don't know. Were they Did they see that you were treating it as a career? Or did they see it as my like... My parents? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because my mom was the one who got me my loft. She paid for me to get my loft. She knew what I was doing. They bought me. I wanted to... Back then, we were everything was switching over to DAT or mini disc CDs, and I was like, I was asking my dad, my stepdad, I was like, Ah, oh, can you find me this mini CD? This is the new thing out. I need to record all my music on it. It'll be cleaner. They was like, All right. It was like five hundred dollars back then. And I was like, All right. So they bought that. So yeah, they were very supportive. Um, my mom helped me out with a lot of pressings, like maybe four four uh, record releases. Because by 94, you would have already traveled overseas. I would have already traveled. Yeah. I did the uh, first tour was all of Germany. All over Germany, like all these little different cities. So that was interesting because I was like, culture shock. It was like when I was over here, I was like, wow. Like you did, like I didn't know that this all this was over here, like where I was. And I was just looking around. Like it was just a different it just felt different. Like, you you know, if you never leave your hometown, you feel like that there's nowhere else but where you're at. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And it's like, wow. Yeah, so it happens. You get culture shock. And you've more or less traveled every year since then? Multiple times every, every year since then? Every year, yes. Even though I did not have um, a booking agency because there was a lot of people who took my bookings. They had my name on roster lists. And that was one of the reasons I want to clarify. That was one of the reasons why no one saw me on the on the DJ uh, bookings tours a lot back in the day because my name was on other people's rosters and they were booking themselves. So, so <laughs> how you like that? So, some agency would ha- have you as an artist. Absolutely, it was more. But than obviously, one. it was more than one. And what happens when someone writes to them saying, "Hey, can we book Kelly?" They try What's to this? book their people or themselves. They They'd say, them. "No, you can't have Kelly. Have happening. this guy." Or I'm not going to mention names of who the artists that were being booked and who the agencies were. One just closed. 
<laughs> and um, usually the universe uh, pays its dues to the people who do wrong things. Yeah, karma. Mm-hmm. So how was it back then? Like, I don't know. From speaking to you, it seems like you're friendly with a lot of people there. In, so, in Detroit. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. When you talk about these things, like, when you talk about something like that, has that kind of stuff just always happened? I suppose it happens in every scene. You mean like... Uh, I don't know, tricky things. Well, there there's people who not work in regular jobs. They're greedy. They need to make money. They got families. And most of these, of course, are guys. I mean, because it's a boy, boy's network. So I can't say it's a whole bunch of women because it's, it's Boys Network. And so, um, you know, agencies all of a sudden popping up. Hey, we'll put you on, try to get you some bookings. And then all of a sudden nothing comes through. Years went by. People were taking my name. was I found out later my the reason why I wasn't getting any bookings was because my name was on some DJ, DJ company's list. They would never contact me. And I had, it took me H-E-L-L to get the name off of that that why I saw it was listed. I said, ah, this is what's happening. And so, yeah, I mean, the company, one of the companies just closed, and I'm glad. Because when somebody told me that they closed, I was like, they should be. Should have closed. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, people, I mean, all these people was traveling around for many years doing 50 to 100 or more gigs a year. And, but I'm not, I'm not irritated about it at all. Because all the people who are traveling, and doing 100 gigs a year, I have over 300 releases that they have. They don't have. So there's a balance. There's a different difference here. I have more music out, and these people have, have done more gigs. Well, you're as good as your last gig. My material goes on forever. Bookings don't. Yeah. So it, it, it's paid off, actually. For me, today, I probably wouldn't have as much as releases as I have. So when you say it was a big boys club, I don't know, were you conscious of that at the time? Were you like, well, no. there's not many other girls around? No. Or you kind of just did your own thing? I was and- not conscious at all. It wasn't the, even the words that came across. You you learn as you go, as time goes on. Oh, this is boys network. This is the way it's, it's said and, and the way it is. So what kind of things would make you realize? Well, everything is all boys, all men. Uh, this is not for women. They have you have these egos that kick in. Would people explicitly say things like that? Uh, or I don't know. Were they no? They or? would not because that would be discrimination, egotistical. Their way out. Yeah. yeah, but I don't deal with stuff like that. <laughs> it's either do or don't. If you don't like it, or if I sense you don't like it, especially today, it's like whatever. But today is different. So back then, it just never crossed my mind. I didn't really seem like that there was a problem at all with anyone. Um, I did. I do have. I'm not going to mention names. One person that I had this offer for Crystal Waters remix, and when I told them in Detroit, I said I don't have a studio, but they want me to do. Uh, Crystal Water remix. Well, I have I had my own small equipment, but I wanted to take it to another level for her remix. And at the time, she was real popular, you know, but she's still popular. And so um, I contacted one of these producers and said, hey, can I use your studio to make my... They were jealous and they did not want me to use the studio. Next thing you know, they, they scratched the remix. They didn't want me to do it. Yeah, so, I mean, you have this egotistical because they was like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Well... Today, you hardly hear nothing about this person. I can imagine when things like that happen, it can be like quite <laughs> deflating. Yeah, I was just young in the business, just started looking for a nice studio. Well, especially you're quite a positive, like happy person. I can't imagine. Yeah, you, I, I can't was... imagine you doing something like that to someone. No. So when it happens to you, like if somebody it... came to me and said, "I have a Michael Jackson or Janet Jackson or the Cure group remix, and I have a nice studio, and they they need." Assistant, I'm there, have time, or somebody's there. What's the problem with helping that person out? That's I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I want to do that remix. I'm going to contact the people or have somebody contact them, scratch their remix, let me do it. I'm not gonna, I mean, everybody has their time. And if they just wait, <laughs> which is very key in this business, it's patience. And if you don't have patience, forget it. Go look for another drop. Because uh, especially you need a lot of patience in the airports. That's number one. If you want to DJ, that's the uno numero one rule. Get get into reading. Get your game on about patience. (laughs) And just in general, 
airports, music business. You know, I know I know someone that I I put on to to uh, DJ recently, someone up and coming. I put them on to someone to 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 look at them and get them going, and they were frustrated in between. All of a sudden, they have an RA mix now. They have a new RA mix. It takes time. Like I told her, it takes time for all this stuff. Things just don't just happen. Boom. Okay. Boom, 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 boom. Especially considering these days, some people don't get known until they're 40 years old or something like that. Well, you no, know, like breakthrough, even older, like breakthrough DJs. Well, yeah, that too. And then some of the new DJs just coming up, uh, some of them, some of the young ones, younger or, yeah, they, they, they'll get known. If, they, if they're good, they got to be good. You know, so there's some out there. But then you have some people out there faking that they're doing this and doing that. So that just don't work. I'm sorry. Somewhere down the line, it's going to end. It's not going to work. Because people know. The fans, they know who people are. Because they tell me. They know who so-and-so is in Detroit. They know who who did what. They know this. It's all on the internet. Everybody reads. Everybody follows. The people who follow uh, specific artists in Detroit, all over the world, they know. They just don't say nothing, but they know. But it's eventually, somebody will say something. Some of the fans, some, one or some of the fans will say something. And so, but what I found is that most of the fans are trying, they want to be, They most of the fans want to do the same thing that we do. As in DJ? Yeah. Most of the fans, yeah. Yeah. They mostly want to DJ or, uh, which is okay, Cause like I can be traveling somewhere and somebody be like, oh, why are you over here? Uh, and I tell them what I do. They're like, oh, I want your job. Like they don't even know me. It's like I want your job all of a sudden. Like what type? What do you do? Like uh, sign me up quick. <laughs> I'm like, good. Yeah, it's easier said than done. It sounds cute, but uh, sounds cute to run a six hour stopover in Barcelona right. with no sleep. Exactly. Just like Nina Kravitz says, the hardest part of this whole job is the, the traveling. That's the hardest part is getting to the destinations through the airports. We're like flight attendants, basically. That's my that's what I always say. We're, we're like flight attendants, <laughs> and that's exactly how I carry myself through the airport. It's like I'm getting ready to get on a flight. I'm flight attendant. <laughs> so you still get a lot of time to make music. Yeah, a lot of people. It's difficult, I will say, because I don't do that many gigs a year. So a lot of people think I do because of all the hype. I have hype and game behind me, which is good for today's music world. So you feel that hype? I feel the hype. Really? So I, my, my fan base is 18 to 34, so that's good. What? How's now different to 15 years ago? When now said- it's different because I want to have an agent, a consistent agency. I've been having that within the last four years. Before there was... Uh, taking on my booking requests or somebody in Detroit micromanaging my career. They do that a lot in Detroit. And I tell them, you need to stop and forward the information and stop micromanaging people's lives because you're not my manager. And I will tell them directly. Uh, I have no problems with that. Um, Re-implementing that sentence and we'll let it be known because it's ridiculous. You know, why should I micromanage you and you live here and I micromanage every time someone comes here to do an interview? I don't know where he's at. Yeah, ask him this, Matt. (laughs) Don't forget that. I don't know him. I don't know where he's at. Oh, he's traveling somewhere. She don't live here. I mean, just all the hate stuff. And so all the smiling in the faces, no good. They can keep their smiles in front of my face. But guess what? I'm going to keep smiling. Keep doing what I'm doing. Stay in my lane. So that's how you do it. And um, that's how anyone keeps going. Just keep smiling and keep doing you. Don't worry about nobody else. Well, it hasn't stopped you making great music. No, I'm not. And to answer your question, I carry a mini mobile system with me. When I have the time, get to finishing a track or mixing down something. But it's difficult because you want to go to the main boards to do the full scale if it's something really big. But these days, people are making tracks off their laptops, pressing A, B, uh, Y, C, Q, W, QWERTY. QWERTY on their keyboards now. And they're making hits. QWERTY house. So it can be done. It's always, there's a solution to everything. But at the same time, if one is traveling like nonstop, you know, 100, 120 gigs a year or more, there's no way they can tell me that you're coming out with all this music 
and you are making this music. Yeah, you're coming out with it, but are you making the music? Because it's too much rigmarole. I'm only doing 30, 35 gigs a year, and it's too much rigmarole. I'm a high producer for music. It is no way. It's very. Yeah, you don't release so much, actually. I I can't. I have stuff on my boards that needs to be finished. It is and it's hard to get to because it's so many. And I only do 30, 35, 40 gigs a year, and it's so much to be done in between. It's difficult to sit down and say, okay, for five hours, two days, three days in a row, unless you just ignore everybody, and that's the way you have to do it. You have to ignore people for a period of time. It's not nothing personal. Just ignore everybody. For me, because I don't have ghostwriters, so I don't want ghostwriters. I do my own production. It started from one day one and going to continue. But for the ones who have ghostwriters, carry on. How prominent is this ghostwriting thing? I don't know. I mean, it's cool. I think, like, some of my, a couple of my colleagues said they don't mind ghostwriting for people. They get paid. I know a lot of people who have been asked. Yeah, I mean... Somebody asked me, well, can you ghostwrite my trick? No, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to ghostwrite for people. I think they would tell it was, they, your sound is so distinctive also. Yeah, I it's think they too, would just like yeah. slide my name in there somewhere. It's K-N. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you shouldn't ghostwrite for people. Yeah, it's I don't think that would be a good idea. I mean, I'm trying to finish my own darn track, <laughs> first of all. So, you know, like to put aside to try to do... I mean, you got to be it. Ghostwriters are at their studios all all day, every day. That's what they do. They're not traveling around DJing. Some of them are, but they don't travel as much. Because, again, traveling, DJing, and doing massive production is impossible. It's impossible. Unless you have days off, you say, okay, I'm going to take these next 10 days off or five days off, and you ignore everything and everybody. So how did you produce all these records in the 90s? Were you traveling less or you were faster? I was not traveling. Okay. That, was the, that was the point. My name was on rosters after this one major tour here in Germany, the first tour, uh, all over Germany, different cities. Um, and when I came home, like, oh, we put you on the roster list. And people were just jumping in, taking it, like taking all my offers and stuff or requests. And late, I later found out all this. Of course, I didn't know then because you don't know. There was no internet back then. But as the internet came about, I said, ah, this is what was going on. And so I should have actually had, you know, there wasn't that many agencies back then either. And the ones that were there, they didn't want to take on K-Han because K-Han is not big enough. You got Jeff Mills, Derek May, they, started, they had their own agencies so they just covering them. So it was about oneself. It wasn't about, oh, I'm going to carry Jeff Mills, K-Han, Richie Harden. Richie Harden had his group. So, you know, everybody starts segregating. And then they just pin pick who they want. And then the new agencies that popped up, ABC agency. I have an agency in Australia. Hi, I got an agency over here in Italy. Hi, I got an agency. Let me put your name on the rest of this. And then you never hear from them no more. And they are nowhere to be found today. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dodgy. So it's just ridiculous, but it's water under the bridge. But today it's different. Uh, it's all good. Uh, it paid off again. I have more product than anyone can even find and uh, more coming. Uh, I'm working on how to do more while I'm touring. Uh, at some point, the touring will slow down depending on what type of uh, logistics work I have as we move forward. Speaking today... Because uh, for me, efficiency is very important, uh, whether you have management or no management. And it's always been that way with uh, my corporate work. And as well, I implement it in the DJ music business work. So were you working full time when you were making tracks in the 90s? Hell yeah. You were. <laughs> and so yeah, you, I was working full time. Paying, I pay in my pocket. Uh, pressing records, all my whole checks, every, like at the end of the year, I would do my taxes, and 90% of my, my annual salary was going towards pressing records. So what would happen? You'd go to work in an office all day, yep. and you'd go, you, would, did you have all your equipment at home or in a studio yep. somewhere? Yeah, had a studio set up at home. Did you live alone? I had my oh. own house. So you could be as loud as you wanted? Yep. Yeah. So what, you'd go home, then just start, I don't know, would you start with the drums? Would you start with a groove? I would or would go you have home. a sample? That's a good question. I would come home, and I wouldn't fumble too much on music equipment during the week. What I would do is wait till the weekend, and like I would line something up with Claude Young. He would come over. Most of the time, Claude Young would come over or some, uh, some of my other male friends, and we would just like the whole weekend just like hone in on... 
um, a new piece of equipment because back then there was no internet. So we would just hone in like on the manuals of this new keyboard, like how it works, what's the sounds in it, and just try to record because I had the Atari back then or the Leases, the Leases sequencer. So that was just how it was. And so on the weekends was very key for for me to to focus on music. And then once I started getting going and recording, then that's when I'd be like, Claude, come over, let's work on the track. Sean, come over, let's work on the track. And just putting out everything, everything. Working on music, putting out everything. No bookings. Because that's how it works. I mean, it's simple. It's just that simple. If you can make a whole bunch of music and release it, you're not booked out that much. It's just, unless you unless you have a studio somewhere else on your hub home, second home, and you're home there for two weeks, and everybody, all your distractions is out of the way. You don't have to answer emails, logistics, this to that. Somebody's messaging you about photos, this to that. Then you're good. So who was playing this kind of jacking house? Like this Project 5 or this, or, you know, this Touching Me, this tune? It's one who of was yours. playing it? Yeah, like who would play that kind of stuff in the 90s? Was I don't know. That's a good tra- question because I was wondering who was playing it too. <laughs> yeah, because of course now, well, it's timeless music. We've spoken about it. There weren't that many people in Detroit making this kind of house. As far as I it know. It sure wasn't. Yeah, it's more this Chicago sound. There was no no one. Yeah. So would you get good feedback on these records or you kind of just press them and the, send them off? Those were licensed. It? Like Touching Me was licensed to Osfart here in Berlin. Um, what was the other track you mentioned? The Project 5 EP. Project 5 EP. I remember, I remember very closely, you asked me on the Love Games. Uh, oh, no, that was a different record. Project 5, I remember very closely, we, I went on uh, to... To play with Kraftwerk, with so uh, Underground Resistance, and me and Underground Resistance, and I think James Pennington, it was a couple other of us went to, came to London, and I remember I just had that record press, and I was like, I'm taking some of these to London, and I'm just gonna hand them out, trying to get like uh, people interested. That Project Five, sorry, uh, Project Five EP, and um, Mike didn't say nothing. He was just like, oh, okay. And so I remember handing out like a box full of those records. Nothing happened. That's so interesting. Isn't that interesting? It was something like it was dead doorknob. It's a long story. But I know a guy who made lots and lots of house music in the 90s, had lots unreleased. I went through all the tapes. The tracks that the best, the tracks that sounded the best today and that weren't signed were the most reduced, like minimal tunes. And he said back in those days, they were like, no, there's not enough going on here. We don't want this. 20 years later, these are the ones that sound the best. Wow. Kind of like your tracks, which are also, there's also not so much going on. It's a little sample groove. Right, right. You know? So maybe. That's so weird. Yeah. Well, I guess all this extra stuff, if you put a freaking saxophone in, all this piano and all this, like, I don't know, extra Musician melody. Musician stuff. Yeah, it gets old, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, whereas like Theo Paris, he would have, he has more of a live sound, band sound sounding. I mean, I could make music like that too. I mean, it's 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 not that difficult. It's just lazy, you know, sounding drunk. I'm chilling out, blah blah blah. Drunk. Deep <laughs> yeah. house. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say junk, but you know, just chilling. Just like, oh, whatever. You know, all the swings on all the drums and everything, just make it sound live. It's not that difficult. But people are mocking. You know, they're they're uh, repli- trying to replicate uh, what Theo do, what I do, what everybody does in Detroit. So I mean, my thing is, is just get your own sound. Just do. Like I mean, everything is like copied or recopied, or or you get inspired by such an artist, such as maybe myself or Jeff Mills. Then you want to try to sound like them. I mean, it's okay. But just come up with your own your own stuff. So why do you think you you were making this house with such a strong groove? You know, because it's this really rolling well, kind of sound. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It's really rolling. <laughs> you know, it's That's a strong funny. groove. Just yeah, like yeah, because we're irritated in Detroit. <laughs> That's why we're always was irritated. Detroit is not what people think. It's just it's a big hype. You know, it's a community city. We They make cars there. You know, so, you know, yeah. There was Motown. There was Techno now. And um, it's just a big hype behind Detroit. Back in the day, you know, there was always some aggravations. Plenty of aggravations that make you just want to just produce to get rid of the think about what's going on for the day or for the week. My, I think my background, 
No one, no one has walked in my shoes. Uh, and anyone, no one has walked in your shoes as well. So the thing is, is that my background with the Paradise Garage, going to New, uh, uh, New York and Chicago, uh, I, what I do today is bring that to the tables that nobody else has experienced back then and can walk through my shoes and, and copy. You, you can play the same record like I just played Love Fest. You could play uh, Been Around the World by Lisa Stansfield, but it's not going to be the same as when I played it. So it's different. People want your track list. Oh, what she play? Oh, yeah. I Like I posted on Instagram the, some clips from Love Fest. And I'm sure everybody's went and Googled the songs and got the songs or bought, bought the songs or whatever. But it's okay because I don't care because the thing is with me is that uh, you can't you can't be me and I can't be you. So that's just that. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Paradise Garage, you would see Larry Levan there? Yep. Is there any DJ now you could compare him to? Zero. So what made it so different? I actually don't know so much about Larry Levan. Ron Hardy, I've read a lot. Larry Levan. Yeah, sometimes Ron Hardy uh, from Chicago. That's what I was talking about. Uh, not Andre. Well, Andre Hatchett too, but uh, Ron Hardy. I used to go to his parties in Chicago. But yeah, um, Ron Hardy, there's nobody can match him either. Was he this more like a bit, a bit more like chaotic strange kind of sound like playing the same record twice playing it backwards yeah you know a bit more like unconventional yeah yeah he used to do a lot of tricks and stuff i used to go to a lot of his house parties in chicago every time we knew when ron Hardy was playing everybody was there he was like the like kind of like the first like kind of like larry levan of chicago like pretty much for me but um yeah and larry levan there's I haven't seen. There's nobody that can to really uh, replicate Larry Levan or Ron Hardy. Everyone is so. Just getting back to what I'm saying, you come up with your own. You can't be this other person, but you can, you can be inspired by the person and and sound like one can sound like that person or get some type of. Uh, 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 similarities in in their productions or DJ process as well. So it's nothing wrong with it because everyone is inspired by somebody. And so it's just a matter of you coming up with one, coming up with their own way of doing things. And with me, I, I have uh, I have something that nobody else has that I know about. Nobody can't replicate me. So, you know, unless they just make it a joke or something, you know, just like, oh, this is K-Hand. <laughs> so what, so you would fly to New York to go to Paradise Garage from Detroit Yep. So what would happen? You would leave Detroit on Friday night, Friday afternoon? Friday afternoon, yep. Yeah, so you get to New York, go to a hotel, yep. drop your stuff off. Yep, go eat and then get ready for the garage. Sometimes we arrive late at night. The garage, is that what you called it? Yeah, the garage, Paradise Garage, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you asked me because I didn't realize I just said the garage. Uh, yeah, so sometimes we arrive at night and then the garage starts at uh, like midnight, 11, 12. So it was cool. It just worked out. We go from the airport, check in the hotel, boom. You'd stay there for t- 10 hours or something? Just stay there until, 12, until the next, till it's daylight. You'd be dancing the whole time or you go off and sit for a while? Go off, oh. sit. They had yeah. a rooftop. Go sit at the, sp- in the, um, I would go sit in the speakers, the bass speakers, depending on how you feel, yeah. you know, because everybody was just pretty much drunk and high. <laughs> And so what, was it kind of, I guess, well, I guess it could be a bit of both, but was it psychedelic, like, inner experience? Or would you be jumping around, no, everyone's man. happy? No, you're just doing your thing. Okay. You can just go on the dance floor and just stand there. Nobody cares what anybody else is doing. Everybody was doing their thing. There was stars coming in there. It was like, oh, there goes so-and-so. You just keep doing what you're doing. Nobody's excited about that. Ah, oh, there goes, there goes uh, LGBTQ person oh and they look real pretty oh okay just keep doing what you're doing it was just everybody minding but just having fun dancing it was all about dancing and then you know what the live acts as well was very awesome i don't know so much about it lolita holloway grace jones i saw all of them live right in front of my face like as close as we are yeah all these big acts so you'd stay there till the end most of the time till close to 12 yep and then go to vinyl mania old vital mania record store I'm like, what's that record Larry played? This one? What's that one? I want all the records that he played. And they start pulling out the shopkeeper would know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like they also the came here straight from the party. <laughs> yeah, and I bought all the records. Yep, all the records that uh, 
that uh, he played. He just started pulling. They would be playing some when you walk in the store. Because the thing is with me is, well, one thing I noticed, too, and I have a lot of cassette tapes from New York I used to buy from that era that I'm getting ready to start listening to. And, um, uh, archive, like off the tape, cassette tape. And I used to always carry a cassette uh, headphone. And when I left the garage, it's like I still wanted to hear the music. You just It's like it just sticks in your head and you don't ever want it to go away. Like it's just a good feeling. It's almost like a drug or something. Like the music is like a drug. It's like, and so I would listen to, I would have my headphones in my ear the whole time, even after the garage. <laughs> I was like, this is like thinking about this. It's kind of weird. It's always have something like boom, boom, boom. Really, and I used to rewind back to the same exact track. Every time on this cassette, uh, Walkman, like, yeah, Walkman back then. And so, uh, buying all the records, doing that, I'm like, and I still have those cassettes, which I'm so grateful to because I can pull them up and just go back to that time frame of what was, uh, actually highlighted then. What, like we were talking about before, what other field or scene or hobby? So we're talking about Paris, Paradise Garage. There's no way for me to understand or kind of experience that. But if I'm a basketball fan, I can go and watch a 90s basketball game and kind of get an idea about how it was. But dance music, it's such a finite, elusive thing. These clubs exist for, I don't know, a few years, a decade or so, then it's completely over. The only people who know what it's like are the people who actually experience that. But yours, your experience of Paradise Garage, I can never access. You will never be able to access yeah. it. I'll never know what's But like. you will be able to experience it at my sets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, everyone tells me, and this is, I just, rec- I just realized this and noticed this, the people have been telling me the feedback is that they are, they feel refreshed after my sets and that, very refreshing when I come to the territory, wherever they may be worldwide. And what we found was what I'm bringing is experience that I had from the Paradise Garage, the 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 power box in Chicago, the really top hottest clubs in the world, bringing that same experience to you, to your location, where you're located. And it's a different feeling. You can hire anybody else in the city, this Joe Blow over here, this person over here, this new DJ, new DJ over here, uh, call this DJ from Egypt, call this DJ from Dubai. It's not going to be the same because they did not experience what I've experienced. And there's only a few of us that have experienced this type of uh, era. And I'm so grateful to say that I'm happy to experience it, not knowing that I would be in the music business at the time. Didn't I know? Yeah, maybe that also explains why house sounds so much different now. You know, no one can make this, even when they try, no one will ever make a groove. Well, in my opinion, there's no grooves that add up to any Dance Mania groove is better than almost any house track that comes out now. Exactly. Don't you think? Exactly. But what is it? Why is it so elusive? Is why it's so elusive? Yeah, why can no one, why can't I train with a 909 and make a Paul Johnson groove. It's impossible. You know, what was going uh, on there? possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that difficult. Well, for you, it's not difficult. Why can't you do it or anybody else you're saying? I guess anybody else. Will anyone well, making music today? I think it's from, I think it comes from the environment. Like Chicago and Detroit, we come from a certain environment where we can take things out of something or nothing and make it into something. And so that's what has occurred. Chicago came out with the Acid 303. It was just a bass machine for bass musicians. It wasn't it wasn't made for to be an acid machine. They Chicago made it to, into an acid machine and then boom, everything starts moving around. Everybody starts buying and using and finding out, hey, this is the machine that makes the acid. I even bought one from a guitarist in Detroit for 50 bucks. The real 303. He was like, oh, I was a guitar. I was a guitarist. I was like, why are you selling this? He was like, I was a guitarist. Like, it sounds like shit. Just practicing bass lines. That's what he told me. He was practicing bass lines. I was like, oh, okay, 50 bucks. My dumb butt sold the darn or traded it for something. I mean, I would have loved to have kept it, but I have the new one now. But it's not the same. So, yeah. So, the, the, the thing is, is that uh, the beat, why do other people want to copy the, the Dancing Mania beat? Why would p- other people want to copy that sound? 
Well, well, yeah, that's a good question. I guess because it's so good, the the swing and the sound, the groove is just. Oh, Perfect. see, we know. I know all the secrets. <laughs> so how would it work? I don't know. When you were making a track, would you just have a loop running for hours? Oh, you just find your groove. See, yeah. the thing is, is that you got to have some soul. That's number one. You got to come from the hood. <laughs> we, I'm middle class, but I still come from the hood. Now, I could be ghetto. There's south side of Chicago. There's north side of Chicago, east and west. So most of the South Side was the very grungy side of Chicago, which is still some of my friends that live there. In Detroit, the East Side was always the East Side, West Side, like that. So we all grew up on the West Side. You had the East Side, they're like, oh, no, the East Side. So, I mean, it, it's the ghetto. <laughs> I call it, I mean, not the real ghetto, but just you, we come from, we didn't come from, you know, ice cream and whipped cream topping neighborhoods with mansions and where there's no grunge. If there's no grunge in your life, basically you're not going to find the soul within you. And that's really important. Everyone has soul, but you have to find it within yourself. And with our uh, community and uh, where we come from, it's already there. We're born into it. So as we born into it and then we're like, okay, we, we know our souls. And then, so it just comes out on our, in our equipment. Most of the time, sometimes through anxiety, depression, anger, their environment, I have I'm bored. I have nothing to do. I don't play video games. I want to make. I want to work on this track, that type of thing. So I mean, I don't know if that you understand, but or if anybody understands, but I know uh, what you're trying to say. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's from the soul, basically, your inner self. Some magazines have called me to do a ten minute track well now you can do tracks for five minutes or less i'm not gonna do a video for 10 minutes i'm not gonna give up my tips for 10 minutes for free some people did it you know that's on them but like i said i stay in my lane i don't get involved with some stuff i'll do i'm not saying i don't do nothing for magazines and stuff like that i'm i'm pretty open but if it doesn't make sense for what what direction i'm going and where I'm heading and what I want to do with my career, then it doesn't make sense. I'm not giving up tips. We're not giving up tips for Detroit and Chicago. We don't do that. People who do, then that's on them. So what are your experiences? To answer your question, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So what are your experiences with Chicago like? Well, I have um, this right next door to Detroit. It's a sister city of Detroit. So it's easier to get there. My experience in Chicago is I've pretty much been there. That was the second place that I would go every weekend if I wasn't in New York it was something going on in Chicago and, and the one experience that I really remember from Chicago is the sound their sound system was always different than any other sound system other than the Paradise Garage and it was the best in the world they will not book parties unless they sound was thumping. And that was the difference with Chicago and Detroit. Maybe that's why the sound is also really reduced. It's got to be thumping. Yeah, well, maybe that's why they didn't need so much in the tracks. Yeah. The sound systems were so good. No. Well, yeah, that could be. It could be. Yeah, because if you play ju- yeah. yeah, if you play a minimal track of John Dance Mania, it would just sound so good on a big, huge system. Yeah. I love this, the sound. It's, it's totally different. The sound in Chicago, I would just go up there just to be like, I want to hear this. I got to hear this bass in this this, play, this space. Yeah, and I think Ron Trent, um, somebody bought some of the the bins up there in Chicago. They were selling the clubs. was closing years ago. Yeah, I think they um they bought some of those bins. I mean, I would like this stuff. My sound would definitely have to be like Chicago sound in my house, in a warehouse, if I, you know, like a loft. That's how I want my sound. It's neck and neck with uh, Paradise Garage. But Paradise Garage is a little different, but similar. But those two, hands down. I have heard nothing in Detroit like Chicago and New York. It is interesting. I live in Detroit and I do events and I have not heard the same. It sounds got to be thumping. I mean, you can turn on the speaker and turn it up. But if it's not the right type of sound, the way it's set up, uh, I don't know what speakers they use. I forgot the name of them, but uh, it has to be the right space. Your mixing board, you know, they always use like knobs and stuff. Chicago was bumping with sound. Mm-hmm. That was the main thing about me. And then the record stores, you know, 
We had a couple record stores there, but mostly Ron Hardy. He had the house parties, the power plant. That was those are the two I remember off the top of my head. There was some other music box, pretty cool stuff. So do you th- do you see that? I don't know that age is kind of like the golden era for dance Gold, music. Yeah, platinum. So for dance music in America, I don't know. What do you think about it now? Do you still find lots of stuff that you're into? Oh, yeah. A lot of the events I do, they have really good sound systems. And what about just the people making music? Uh, I hear a lot of crap out here. I'm going to be honest. Just people just jumping in. They want to do what you do. A lot of crap. Was it always like this, though? Do you think that there was... No. There's, you think the hit rate was higher? There were more tracks coming out that you liked 20 years ago? Well, 20 years ago, um, before the digital era... There was a vinyl and CDs, so I would say, yeah, because it was less producers. It was it wasn't it's a massive amount. Everybody's making music now, and you know, not to not not to degrade any of the mu- music companies. It's making all this equipment and making it easier for people to just jump in. For people 16, 17, 18, Oh, I got this box now. I can DJ, or I got this uh, app, or this software that I can DJ on my laptop with a controller and I can just press start and stop and use a USB stick and blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden get a management PR and all of a sudden buy my likes and then I'm a DJ. So it works for some people, but for us, we came from the hood again. (laughs) I'm going to say the hood, um, middle class, but we came from the hood and we came from something. We took a little of something and turned into a big of something. And then now we have people in all over the world or parts of the world that want to copy what we do. But we went through H-E-L-L, most of us, some of us. <laughs> Maybe the time it took you to get to your first gig or to put out your first record, in those days you needed a lot more hours. Oh, to learn, the learning curve. Yeah, the learning right. curve is a lot less Everything steep. is more user-friendly to learn quicker. Yeah, you can put a track up and beat for it. Right, from your equipment, you can upload it right away. Yeah, just like most softwares, they allow you to upload to their, well, upload now as soon as you're done. So, yeah, that's that's been going on for years, upload straight to the, the forums or the groups. Yeah, but you couldn't do that in 1994. You could not exactly. do that then, exactly. So back then when you use AOL1, they had a um, uh, something like a messenger where you can upload tracks and send them to your friends. But it, only us tech heads knew this. And we did this uh, quite frequently. And that's how we were able to stay ahead of the game and getting tracks flopped over to this person, to that, to the next. Once the internet kicked in, AOL one, it was lovely. It was just a little secrets in there you just had to know. As time went on, even before the internet, uh, it was just come over my house <laughs> type thing. Come over this weekend, I'm off. We can just do music all weekend or all day. Analog. Yeah, we just and I love analog because I, I that's what I prefer actually. I'm all this computer stuff. Oh my god! But I I love my Ableton. But I mean, it's just more stuff to get into. I mean, I got the new pro. I got so many new stuff. I don't want to say the names. Just keep mixing up names on the mic here. But yeah, it's just so much stuff. I, I'm just a I'm I'm a I'm I'm just personally a uh, gear her or nerd a gear nerd, and I have a gear problem. <laughs> so I have to stop. Gear, gear problem. <laughs> yeah, I have a gear. I'm not ashamed to say it's kind of like an alcoholic that drinks too much. Well, I have a gear problem. So like you see me over here, uh, it's like whether it works or not, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll, I have a guy that fixes equipment, and so in uh, Detroit. So there you go. But yeah. Was yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Yes, yeah, a Spotify playlist, man. It's kicking over 300 plus hours. Over 300 plus, hours. Yeah, over 300 hours of music uh, for your listening pleasure. House, techno, everything? <laughs> everything you want to know. And did you order the tracks like according to... No, it orders itself. Just play. Press play on Spotify and it just keep rolling. You have barbecues at your mama's house. You have a family gathering. You know, you're taking the kids out. Just press play in the car on the road trip. Let's go. Whatever you like, turn the lights, wine on ice, show for the caviar, whatever you like, turn the lights, wine on ice, show for the caviar, whatever you like, turn the lights.